It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL. And from you, call now, 801-575-8255. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon. I am Maria Shaleos along with Governor Spencer Cox. And again, we are taking your calls at 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. And Governor, always so many questions. It seems like an hour just isn't enough time to handle them all. But let's start out. My goodness, what a what great snowfall we've seen. Uh, does this bring you some relief in this drought? Well, Marie, I, it's great to be with you again, and, and we do have a lot of questions and, and a lot of them concerning the drought that we're in. I, it, it does bring me a little bit of relief. I, I will tell you I slept better last night than I have in, <laughs> in a long time, uh, but I, I have to be perfectly honest with the, the people of Utah, and that is that this is kind of a blip on uh, on, on the screen when, when it comes to how much snow we need uh, the, this year. Um, we, we had a very wet October, so the good news is that our, our, our soil, uh, the water content in our soil is 16 percent higher than the median. That's really, really good news. It means that any snow we get will go into our reservoirs. So so we're starting from a strong place, and that's because of the storms we got in October and, and September. Um, now, the bad news is we had a really dry November, and uh, we're, we're starting behind when it comes to just our, our average snowpack. So we have we have a tremendous amount of, of making up to do. Um, the, the, this first big storm of the year will absolutely help, but we need lots of those storms, and so uh, as hard as it is, and we encourage people to be safe, we're grateful for our snowplow drivers, but we we need these storms, and uh, I'm glad to see them kind of lining up. We've got another one coming tonight, and it uh, looks like we've got some more next week. Is there something coming up in the legislative session to address water issues, Governor? Yes. In fact, we will have um, we will have several bills. Uh, I've been working on them this week. I met with bill sponsors. Uh, we're actually drafting those bills with, with them, and uh, this is going to be a, a, a time of conservation. Conservation. The, the biggest conservation package that we've ever proposed, as, as well as the, uh, the the largest proposal in, in a governor's budget ever. And, uh, and and those will be focused in a couple areas. So one will be re- really in, in conservation um, and making sure we're, uh, you know, we're monitoring and, and uh, we're metering our secondary water uh, connections, uh, helping to uh, get rid of unnecessary grass, making it so uh, municipalities can't mandate grass that we we allow for waterwise landscapes and uh, and then a significant investment in uh, in in helping to modernize and uh, and improve our our agriculture water usage and getting grants available to to farmers to uh, to optimize the, the water that they're using now so they can they can uh, they can still get the, the same amount of crops and even increase yield in their crops, but use significantly less water. Those are all ways that we're going to be able to save water in a, in a time of drought and uh, make sure that we have water for, uh, for drinking next year. 
Speaking of the legislature and Utah lawmakers, they have called for an audit of the elections. Uh, Tell us, do you uh, support this audit and how do you think it impacts voters and their feelings about the elections? Sure. I have no problem whatsoever with with audits. Um, We do do more audits than when when it comes to elections and probably any other state out there. We we routinely do internal audits. Um, As lieutenant governor for seven and a half years, I was able to oversee elections in our state and and, uh, and so we we would do those audits ourselves uh, with counties and and in our state, like most states, elections are actually run by counties. The the state oversees it, but the actual implementation this is twenty nine county clerks. That's where that's where it happens. We we did an audit. Uh, the the legislature did an audit just two years ago in two thousand nineteen when I was lieutenant governor. We passed with flying colors. Uh, we, we have no problem whatsoever with scrutiny. We we uh, we recommend. We, we, we recommend it. We, we think it's healthy. And in fact, every single year since I've been lieutenant governor, and, and including this year with our incredibly capable and talented new lieutenant governor, uh, with with uh, with Lieutenant Governor Henderson, um, we have proposed uh, improvements to the election system. And every year the legislature has partnered with us to get those improvements done and those upgrades done, um, in making enhancing security, uh, ma- making sure that we make it easier for the right people to vote and harder for the wrong people to vote. That's what the citizens want. That's what we demand. And that's what we expect. And, and in fact, we actually have a proposal already that the lieutenant governor has been working on uh, that is going to forward with the legislature to, uh, to improve and strengthen our elections next year. And, and so I say all of that to, to say this, uh, we we welcome scrutiny. We think it's helpful. We think it's important. And uh, I, I have no doubt that we will be able to show the people of Utah that we are we have 29 county counties that are running elections the right way. Now, my only concern is there there are there is a small but very vocal group of people um, who who really don't care. I mean, they claim they care about audits. They don't. They they uh, the audit will, if the audit comes back and says, yeah, everything looks great, they won't believe the audit. We've seen that over and over again. They believe in conspiracy theories, um, and and they really want to tear down our our election system in, in the state. And so I, I don't think that this will help with with those people. But for anybody who's really interested in uh, in knowing how we do elections. Um, we we ha- we are an open book. We bring people in all the time to monitor elections. Um, we, we, we watch them as they run the machines, as the vote counts, all of those things. We, we don't connect our machines to the Internet so they're not subject to ha- hacking. We don't uh, – we, we, we have actual paper v- ballots for everything that we do. Even on the machines, which we don't use as much anymore, we were one of the few states that had the machine actually print out a ballot so that we had a paper trail in everything that we did. And uh, – we feel very confident in the uh, in our abilities and and what this uh, this audit will find. Okay, Governor, the callers are starting to line up with their questions. We will take a break and come back with their calls. The number to call eight zero one five seven five eight two five five, and you can text us at five seven five zero zero. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Get your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let Let Me Me Speak Speak to to the governor Governor on KSL News Radio. And thank you for spending your noon hour with us, Maria Shaleos, along with the governor this afternoon, taking your calls and your text questions. And governor, our first texter is asking if Utah is doing anything to draw electric vehicle manufacturing to the state or even battery manufacturing. Well, thank you. We're, we're certainly seeing a tremendous uptick in the uh, the. the- air that people have for for electric vehicles we we did put money in our budget to expand the uh the, the infrastructure that is necessary so charging stations in rural areas so that people can can enjoy uh, electric vehicles we have had conversations in the past as manufacturers are looking uh to expand operations or looking for new operations we had uh, we had serious discussions with Tesla over uh, their battery manufacturing plant which they ended up putting in in Nevada at the time um so we are all Always looking at, uh, especially at the manufacturing uh, field, we've got a proposal co- that c- coming from my office of, of economic opportunity that will look at uh, in enhanced manufacturing in the state and reshoring some of those uh, ma- manufacturing operations that have been overseas. And so we, we've been very competitive, and, and we've seen significant expansion in the manufacturing industry. Um, we 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 those negotiations are, are are private until you know until they become public. So. So I, I can't uh, I, I can't uh, talk about anything specifically right now, mm-hmm. but just know that we are constantly looking at that. I, I will say though there there is something that that I think is concerning there, and and that is that in order to cr- continue to create these vehicles and those batteries, we need the critical minerals, especially copper and others um, that are found in Utah. Uh, in fact, there are 35 critical minerals that the federal government has designated. We have 28 of them here in Utah. Uh, obviously, copper being a big one, and uh, the the data shows that we will not have enough copper to keep up with uh, the, the vehicle production at current uh, current production methods. We'll run out in around 2025. And so we, we need much more mining, um, and we have to do that in a safe way. Uh, there, there is a, a national security component to this as well. It's a huge mistake to outsource those critical minerals to China um, or to places in Africa that are owned, mines that are owned by the Chinese, where they're exploiting workers and they don't have any environmental protection in place. And so we, we had conversations with Western governors, with the federal government, with uh, the Canadian ambassador um, this past week, all on the importance of, of increasing mining of these critical minerals so that we can, uh, we can improve our, our environmental outputs, specifically around uh, electric vehicles and, and other options. Governor, our first caller is Wes in West Jordan. He wants to talk about redistricting. And Wes, what is your question? Um, my question is, when, they, when the people back in 2018 passed Proposition 4, which required that a commission draw the new maps for congressional districts, the legislature decided to ignore that and drew their own maps. So my question is, 
what did the governor like about the legislature's maps more so than the commission's maps? And if he didn't even see them, even though the legislature would be able to override a veto, why did he not veto the bill and and have show the people that he had their back by going with what they wanted? Yeah, thank you, Wes, for the question. We talked about this a lot. I don't know that I have anything more to add, um, except to just say this. What, what, what the people voted on and what the people passed um, un, under the Constitution of the state was a, a recommendation. That's all, the, uh, that's all the Constitution allows the redistricting commission to do. Um, the people did not pass something that said that the legislature had to adopt the, uh, the maps that were put forward by the, uh, the redistricting commission. And so the, I've been very clear on this. I've been clear on this for two years when, when that bill was being run. I, I told people this was exactly what was going to happen. I, I warned people um, that unless, unless there is a change in the Constitution, the legislature is always going to draw the maps, and that's what was going to happen. So, so you asked what I liked about it um, more. Um, well, I, I, I guess there are two things that I liked about it more. One, I do like and I do believe uh, that it is important to have uh, r- rural pieces of, of every district. I think we're, we're better represented when we have, uh, when every member of Congress represents both an urban part of Utah and a rural part of Utah. So I like that mix. That's, that's something that, uh, that, that, that I appreciated. And, and the other thing that I liked more, again, I, I don't know that I like this. It's just that, um, that I, 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 promise to follow the Constitution, and the Constitution says the legislature gets to draw the maps. I wish the Constitution said that the governor got to pick the maps. Um, I, I, re- I, I would love to be able to do that. My maps would have looked very different than the legislature's maps, but that's not, that's not what, what, what is allowed. And so I told the legislature from the very beginning that unless they did something legal, um, that, uh, that, that I would follow the Constitution and allow them to draw the maps. And that's exactly what I did. I, I understand that uh, there are a lot of people that don't like that. There are a lot of people, by the way, that would like to gerrymander a map um, that for, for their party to, that would make it easier to, to have more Democrats in office. Right now in the state of Utah, we have about 850,000 registered Republicans, and we have just a huge disparity. And, uh, and, and that's the way way the legislature was able to draw those maps. They did have a veto-proof majority, a significant veto-proof majority. Um, there's no question that the, these are the maps that would have passed no matter what I did. And, uh, and so um, I decided to, again, as I told them before, that I would uh, follow the Constitution, allow them to draw the maps. So, uh, so we, we have another 10 years until we do this again, and I suspect that there will be a, a push to try to change the Constitution um, to, uh, to not allow the legislature to do that, and we'll see how that fight plays out. Uh, Governor, our next texter is asking, what are you doing to speak out against racist and hate speech here in Utah? Well, thank you. So uh, I have I've spoken on many occasions uh, regarding race and, and hate speech, um, and, and specifically around what we're seeing in some of our schools. Unfortunately, I had a meeting. So again, answering the question, what am I doing? Um, just last week, I met with uh, with all of the superintendents in the state, and and we talked about some of these specific instances that have happened in their schools. Uh, we talked about some of the things that they've done right, some of the things that they've done wrong, and uh, and and more importantly, um, there was a, a really good uh, communication session, listening and learning about what we can do to improve, uh, it, it, learn some best practices. So there, there are some schools that are doing some great things and 
other superintendents were really interested in listening and learning from them. Um, I, I hate that, uh, that that we continue to put this pressure on schools to uh, to help deal with these these uh, the, these very difficult issues. Um, these obviously are things that that I hope would be dealt with in the home. Um, that we would have uh, that parents would talk to their kids about uh, about racism and how inappropriate some of the these comments are and and some of the things that are happening there. But if, it, if it's not going to happen there, it has to happen in our schools. And we have to be able to deal with these, um, the, these very difficult and terrible situations and deal with them uh, quickly and, and effectively so that every child in Utah feels, uh, feels welcome in, in the state. I, I, I love our state, and, and I love that most people in our state, the, the, a super majority of people, care, care deeply about everyone, regardless of their, their race or their religion, their their skin color or what language they speak, um, and we it's it's really incumbent on all of us to step up and uh, and speak out when these things are happening and make sure that we are we are helping to make Utah a safer place for everyone that lives here. Governor Jesse is our next caller, and good afternoon, Jesse. What is your question? Uh, yeah, my question for the governor is in regards to the medical marijuana facilities that we have here, um, and I'm just wondering why it is that a one gram tank here costs $90 when if you look at the shops that they have in Colorado, it's substantially cheaper. So it's almost cheaper for people to drive across state lines. I'm wondering what the state's going to do to bring the prices kind of more in the same range as out of state options are. Well, Jesse, thank you. As I appreciate the question, and I may not have an exact answer for this. It's been a long time since I've had a conversation with our team about what's happening with actual prices in the state. We've been working really hard to implement the program that was just passed a couple years ago to bring medical marijuana facilities into the state. It's a very complicated and laborious uh, 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 program to to get these these uh, the, the the regulations in place to set up um, the the facilities that are growing the marijuana, um, processing the marijuana, and then of course distributing the man- marijuana and selling those. I, I don't believe that the state is setting any of those prices. Um, that those prices are are more likely driven by the uh, the, the market forces. And, and as we continue to expand um, completely the, um, the the growers uh, and the distributors here in the state, uh, that, that should have a down, downward impact on prices, but it's certainly a conversation that, that I'm, I'm willing to have um, with, our, with our team as, and get more feedback on what is exactly happening with those prices and if there's something we can do to, uh, to put them more in line with, with, uh, with other markets in surrounding states. So I, I appreciate the update, Jesse, and that's something I will follow up on. Governor, next texter is asking if there's any talk of bringing back the yearly safety inspection on vehicles. Uh, they state they're seeing a lot of people without headlights at night or taillights and possibly bald tires. And they're, they think it's worth the $25 a year to make sure that everyone's safe to be on the road. Yeah, so this is an interesting conversation that we've had. As, as most people know, that we, we did away with safety inspections um, just a few years ago. I, I, I know that we have uh, our, our safety team, uh, the Utah Highway Patrol, our Department of Public Safety, has, uh, has been 
trying to keep uh, kind of detailed uh, notes and uh, and research on on what is happening out there. Are we seeing an increase in in accidents as they investigate these accidents? Are they uh, you know are they related to uh, if there is an increase? Is it related to uh, a lack of inspection requirements and what we're seeing out there? So we, we're constantly reevaluating this. Um, we'll we'll present that to uh, to the legislature. Um, I, I don't I, I don't know exactly where we are right now with uh, with with those studies as we're paying attention to that. If we have seen a significant increase, but but certainly that's something that we will continue to reevaluate. I know the legislature said when uh, when they passed that bill a few years ago that it's something that they wanted to, to monitor closely and and see if it was uh, if it was working or if it was causing more problems. And certainly I, I think we'll have some interesting information to share with them uh, when uh, when they get ready to meet again in January. Governor, we need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. We will come back with more of your calls and questions up next. And again, that number to call 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Get your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let, Let Me Speak, speak to, to the, the governor. governor on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Spencer Cox, taking your calls and questions right now. Uh, let's go back to our phone lines. Chris has been waiting very patiently. And Chris, what is your question for the governor? Yes, Governor. First, I'd like to say thank you for all that you do. You're an excellent governor. And um, one thing I can tell we have in common is you're definitely a family man that I respect and a great father. Um And so my question is what we can do for those like myself who have a past. I'm a felon. I've never had any violent crimes, any crimes with victims, um, nothing of the sort. I'm a recovering addict. I was in state's custody until I was 18, and at which point the day after I turned 18, uh, I had to move out and was on my own. They didn't verify that I had anywhere to go. So I had a lot of bumps in growing up. I'm now 35 years old and have an eight-year-old daughter. And everything I do is to give her a better life. But I can't even really get an apartment. I have to have a family member put it in their name just so I can give her a better place to live. And same with employment. Even though I've been able to make six figures... Um, the part, they just, they don't care if you, if you have a record. So what can we do to get a bill through to help those like myself? Um, because it really, it hurts our kids and they've, they've done nothing, you know, to deserve yeah. any, any less of a chance. So yeah, yeah Chris, that's where I'm at. Chris, hey, thank you. Uh, first of all, th- thank you for for calling. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, thank you for your, your vulnerability and congratulations. Um, you you uh, obviously have had some very tough circumstances in your life, and and you've been able to change things around. And and, and those are the kind of examples that we need. Um, Chris, I actually, I agree with you on this one. Um, and and I want you to know that we're we're in the process right now of of reexamining um, our criminal justice system. We we put in place some. 
I, I, I think some important framework and, and changes a, a few years ago, and now we're reevaluating how well those have worked. Um, they've worked well in some areas and some areas not as well. I will tell you, I was I was with the county sheriff, uh, r- rural guy, somebody I, I know and appreciate, and, and and we had an interesting conversation. This was just uh, just a, a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, we've tried to change things on the front end um, to prevent people from getting into the criminal justice system. So these are changes since you were there uh, that that are making and to try to get people help so that they don't end up with a record if we can avoid that. And and while I think that some of that has worked, um, uh, some of it has not. We have not funded it necessarily the way that we should have to get the treatment and the help for people like you um, who are who have been addicted and, and need some help to get to get away from drugs or, or whatever the addiction is. Um, and so we, we, we have to fund that piece. But he said, you know, I, we need to hold people accountable on the front end. He's absolutely right. He said, but but I would be willing to do much more on the back end once once people have, have paid their debt to society, you know, especially in victimless crimes, as you've talked about, where, where they're not a threat to uh, to other people, um, to uh, improving our expungement laws and uh, and removing those records so that you don't you don't have this, you know, problems with employment, problems with housing, because you're exactly right right we let people out and uh and if they have a record and we make it hard for them to get a job hard for them to get an apartment hard for them to get back into society and then we're shocked when they end up around the same friends um still addicted the same problems that they've had in the past and and we can't imagine why they end up back in jail right and you're you're an example of somebody who's been able to avoid that but but it's it's just been harder for you so we can't take away all the consequences but we should be able to make it easier um the, the good news is right now as i mentioned we're going through this process our team um, through uh, our criminal justice experts and leaders have actually been going across the state and listening to people getting feedback Um, they've had this listening tour they've listened to law enforcement officials people like you who've been incarcerated, education experts and more, and they're still collecting feedback. Um, I will share your feedback with them as well. But if anybody is interested, you can submit um, your your ideas or your thoughts. Um, I, I'll give you an email address right now. It's cjreform, so criminal justice reform. It's cjreform at utah.gov. Um, and so cjreform at utah.gov, and, and you can please reach out and let us know. Also, reach out to your, your local representatives. I, I think you're, you're up there in the Heber Valley. Um, Representative Mike Kohler and Senator, Senator Ron Winterton are, are up in your areas. But this is something where I, I think we'll be able to see some, uh, some changes and, and, and hopefully some progress over the next year. All right, Governor, our next uh, texter is Michael, and his question is about the food tax proposal. He has some questions about how that's going to work. Um, for example, he says he says an example was given about a single parent receiving a supplement for food if their income is low. Um, and they're wondering if he's wondering if, if it's too low, if their income level is too low, would they also be able to qualify for SNAP benefits? Uh, will there be a supplement for a higher income bracket? He's just wondering how it's all going to work. Sure, sure. I appreciate the question. So this is a proposal that we put forward. Ultimately, um, you know, it will be up to the legislature as we work through the process o- over the next few months to uh, to see what we're able to get done. But our proposal is that uh, is that it would be available and uh, and really. Uh, 
up to $150,000, depending on the size of your family and the number of children that you have. And uh, most people would benefit. In fact, 90, well over 90% of the benefit are those for making less than $100,000 a year and, uh, and significantly more, again, based on family size to help offset what we're seeing with rising inflation. Um, the way it would work, and we're still working through some of those details, is that it would be uh, a refundable tax credit. So uh, we have refundable tax credits in the state and in, in, in our country. Um, generally, those come when people file their income taxes. At the end of the year, then they would get they would get cash back or this credit back. Um, however, we recognize that especially for uh, low-income individuals, waiting an entire year isn't going to be helpful. And so we're working through a process to uh, to be able to for them to get 25% of that quarterly and uh, that we would be able to do that uh, it, it, through some of our other benefit systems. So again, for, for very low-income individuals who are receiving some other benefits, they would get this benefit as well uh, distributed in, in ways that they are used to without having to, having to file uh, to receive that. So those are still some of the details we're working through, but we want, to, uh, we want to make it as easy as possible for those that would qualify to help offset the rising inflation that people are seeing at the grocery stores this year. Governor, before we take a break, I'd like to ask you a question about homeless, the homeless and these freezing temperatures. And since the overflow facility isn't yet open, uh, what is being done to help the homeless? Well, so we, we're working to uh, to get that that overflow facility open. Um, we're not turning anybody away. Uh, we have uh, we have warming stations there. We have uh, people that are going out at nights, uh, and again, especially when we have these these snowstorms that hit so quickly. And uh, we we have amazing volunteers that that go up and down the streets every night trying to find people who are still outside and and getting them into uh, to these warming stations uh, to 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 better conditions. Um, and then, and then helping to get them services so that that we can uh, we can find housing for them. Um, we we have dedicated professionals that sit down. Um, they go through a checklist, asking questions, trying to find out what they qualify for. Are there housing options available? Other places where they can stay? Do they have family members? If we can help them get to their family members, and so it's it's a really exhaustive process to sit down with every single individual and help them find out uh, what they need and how we can connect them with those services. So um, if, if, you know, if, if you happen to be out there and you happen to be listening right now, um, please go to, uh, to any one of our, uh, of our, our homeless service centers. Um, there are people there waiting for you and, uh, and they'll help to make sure that you have a place to stay tonight. A quick break. The number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. And Troy, you're up next on the line. Get your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let Let Me Me Speak Speak to the the Governor governor. on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for this final segment of Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos along with Governor Spencer Cox. And let's go right back to the phone lines. Uh, Troy is there. And Troy, what is your question? Uh, Yeah, my question is focused on uh, unvaccinated illegal immigrants that are being transported to majority red states throughout the United States. Uh, My question is, is Utah taking a position on this or doing anything towards curbing these problems? Uh, I know Florida is, and I know Texas is. I'm just wondering if we're doing or taking steps necessary, considering our homeless resources are stretched to the seam. So, yeah, that's my question. Thank you, Governor. 
Well, thank you, Troy. I appreciate that. So we're, we're not seeing um, any uh, unvaccinated um, illegal immigrants being bust into our, our state uh, that, that we're aware of or, or uh, that are, are taking up any of our, our homeless services or, or resource. So we're, we're, we're certainly not seeing that. Um, we, we are concerned uh, about border security and, uh, and making sure that, uh, that, that only legal immigrants are coming into our, our country. You know, it's really interesting. This, this has been such a divisive issue around immigration, and it doesn't have to be. It turns out it's our politicians that make it divisive, not, not the people of, of the United States. When, when you do surveys of both Republicans and Democrats, by the way, a majority of both of them, this is actually one of those areas where, where there's, there's pretty broad agreement that, uh, that everyone believes that we should secure our borders and prevent illegal immigration, and then that we should fix legal immigration and, uh, and, and, and make it easier for those who, who are. Uh, legal to to come into the country and uh, and to be and to be you know employed and, and and be with family and those types of things. So that's one area where I think there is broad agreement. We had um, we had our, uh, our our national guard troops. We, we had over a hundred of them that just spent a year down at the border uh, under, under our direction, and I was able to welcome them home just a few weeks ago, including a, a good friend of mine who who was uh, who was down there for a year helping to protect our, our border. With, uh, with Mexico, and I'm really grateful for the work of our, our National Guard and the intensive work that they've been doing down there. So thank you for the call. Uh, Governor, I'd like to ask you about COVID, get an update. I see that some of our numbers are dropping, but what are your concerns headed into the holiday season? Yeah, well, the, the good news first, uh, Maria, and that is that, that our numbers are dropping. We're, we're seeing numbers now. Uh, back, I think it's been about August was the last time that we saw numbers this low and hospitalizations are coming down. Uh, it, it's certainly welcome relief and, and much needed. There, there's, there's obviously still too much of this Delta variant out there. Uh, we're, we're unfortunately still, our hospitals are very full. We're still losing uh, 8 to 12 people every day and younger people, uh, unvaccinated people, um, most Mostly, and so that's that's certainly troubling. But I'm grateful to see the downward trend. Um, what's concerning to me is uh, is is the new variant, the the Omicron variant that we are seeing, of course, in in South Africa. Uh, Great Britain has seen a, a significant spike. We're we're starting to see some of that on the coast. We've had a couple cases here in Utah, and and really, it's it's the unknown about that one. What we do know is it spreads much much quicker than any of the other variants that, that we've dealt with. Um, we also know. That, that prior immunity, especially from from Delta, the Delta variant, may not be as as helpful with uh, with this one, um, and, and so that that concerns me as well. Um, but there are some positive signs out there. Positive signs are that uh, that boosters seem to work very well against Omicron, and so we're we're encouraging everyone to uh, to get their booster shot. Uh, we have about I think about five hundred thousand Utahns who've received their boosters so far, and would would encourage everyone to do that. Also, some some initial data that that tends to show that uh, that this new variant um, may be much more mild, and so while while more people will catch it, um, fewer a smaller percentage will end up hospitalized or dying from that. So that's that's good news. Um, but our, our hospitals are so strained because of a lack of labor, our, our workforce, and uh, and because they've been so busy. And now we're starting to see other things like the flu and RSV 
that are filling up our hospitals. So even though um, we, you know, our hospitalizations have been as high as, as 600, a little over 600 from COVID, we're now down around 500. We even had a day under 500. That's good news. Those beds are being taken up now with, by people with other illnesses. And, and so if our hospitals fill up and we have a significant outbreak of, of this new variant, even if it's more mild, uh, we could see some impacts to our healthcare system and uh, and the survival rate of those who are suffering from COVID. So more than anything, again, our, our healthcare experts are just saying, get vaccinated, um, get boosted, and uh, and keep yourself, uh, keep yourself safe heading into this holiday season. Governor, we have a couple of texters who are concerned about the universal education savings accounts and are wondering whether you will support and hoping that you won't veto legislation surrounding them. Well, I, I haven't seen any legislation. So apparently those. what they're talking about is allowing the funding to follow the student versus the program or system. Sure. We'll, we'll, we'll look carefully at those. Um, I've, I've always been supportive of, uh, of, of having, um, having funding that follows our, our children, that allows them to, uh, to, to use that funding. However, parents decide to educate their kids with one caveat, and that is that we're fully funding education in our state. Um, we, we, when we, we're struggling anyway as the 49th state in the nation in per pupil spending, um, you can't take money away from our schools now um, and, and expect them to, uh, to to be able to still offer a high quality education. And so, uh, if we if we're able to fully fund our schools, if we were you know if we were 25th in the nation, um, then then I think we would be much more comfortable uh, allowing funding to, uh, to 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 go away from schools. So again, I have no problem whatsoever. I'm very supportive of, uh, of funding going with our students and uh, and getting them other places as long as we're not taking funding away from our schools that uh, that are already struggling to, to keep pace. And uh, that's a really important conversation for us to have. Governor, on the topic of education, we've seen a couple of threats in our schools in the last couple of weeks causing lockdowns. And uh, what what are you doing? What are your concerns about this? What can be done to maybe eliminate threats like this? What is your position? Sure. Well, it, certainly it's, it's, it's concerning. And uh, we, we've been very, very fortunate in the state of Utah to have been able to, to uh, avoid any uh, of the, uh, you know, the terrible stories and, and, and mass casualty events that we've seen in, in other schools and other states. Um, and, and it's not because they can't happen here. Uh, it, it, at least so far, it's because we've been able to have law enforcement and school officials intervene very quickly when these threats are out there. Uh, we, we've been fortunate. We have the Safe Utah app, and I encourage, again, every parent, um, every child should have the, the Safe Utah app on their, their phones, their devices. Um, we, we talk about that a lot when it comes to mental health. What we haven't talked about is there is a, there, there's a button on that app that allows them to report anonymously uh, to give a tip to, to law enforcement or school officials uh, for some sort of... Uh, any type of threat or behavior that, that kids are seeing or, or concerned about. Um, and, and using that app, we've actually been able to intervene. Um, a lot of these stories haven't, you know, haven't made the news because they were taken care of, um, but uh, in, in ways that, uh, that, that prevented what could have been just, just a terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, so we're also working on security in our schools, trying to enhance that. Um, but, but again, you know, we can't, we can't stop all of these things from happening. Um, and, and 
we have to change the culture. One of the things I'm most happy about is that we were able to get $29 million a couple of years ago, uh, thanks to Governor Herbert's leadership and, and the legislature, for additional counseling in schools so we can work with kids to overcome this empathy crisis that we're having when, when we have troubled students uh, to get them help so that they, they we don't end up in a situation like this. Um, we have to be proactive in that area. I, I was talking, I mentioned this this morning, but a superintendent um, who, by implementing this and, and having a counselor in the school working with kids who are struggling, they, they saw, they were they were having an average of about 30 referrals to the office a week for 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 bad behavior. And now that's down to about three a week. Um, and you just never know what they may have prevented by, by, by working with these students, intervening, helping them, helping their families um, get the, the, uh, the mental health support that they need. And, uh, and, and hopefully, hopefully we can increase mental health uh, access in our schools and prevent something like this from ever happening. Governor, let's end on a light note. Who do you think will win the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day? <laughs> oh, well, that's that's the easiest question I've ever been asked on this show. Well, um, that comes from a texter, even though I was curious to hear what you would say as well. You, you know, no, it, look, it's, it's been an incredible year in the state of Utah. I mean, we, we have three teams with 10 wins. That's never happened before. Um, we wish all three of them. I'm an Aggie, and so I'm a little partial. We're, we're conference champions, too. And uh, we have a game on Saturday in the L.A. Bowl against Oregon State. And, and I'm, I, I have no doubt that my Aggies will prevail. Uh, BYU has a, has a big game in the, in the Liberty Bowl down in Shreve. They've had an incredible year, and uh, we wish we wish Co- Coach Sataki the very best. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be at the Rose Bowl, and uh, I will have Ute gear on, and we will be cheering for uh, for the University of Utah. And have no doubt. I mean, they've had an incredible, especially end to the season. The way they finished, they I mean, they might be the best team in the country right now. The way they're playing, not not at the beginning, but certainly right now. And uh, and, and I really like our chances against uh, the Ohio State team. Governor, always more questions than we have time. So we'll have to catch those people next month. You're joining us the third week of January as well. So for now, have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. You too, Maria. And to to all your listeners, we wish you the very best. Um, Enjoy the season. Be safe out there. And uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you. All right. And you've been listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.